Hi, Steph. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great. Woo. So we have a lot happening on the podcast this month. Part of it is catching up from downtime. And <laughs> and COVID, that and little co- thing. And that COVID stuff. <laughs> and then we just had a lot of information we wanted to record and bring forward. So yeah, no, it's going to be great. We have our first one. Recording is with Rebecca Freeman. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's our informatics leader here at the hospital. She has a big title, which she'll tell you about. Yeah. Um, and she has some uh, exciting new changes happening with my chart and how information is disseminated. She's unbelievably funny. Steph and I thought we were really funny, and she's funnier and smarter. So yeah, there you go. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then we have uh, the resource team came to visit us. And, it was a blast. Uh, yeah, th- uh, three of them. We did have a few kind of technical difficulties with the audio qualities which you might notice so I apologize for that we're still kind of learning this system of podcasting uh, but hopefully you'll uh, get to listen to them because they're so funny right. and uh, it just adds texture to the interviews right <laughs> like <laughs> true but uh, no they're they were awesome and makes me appreciate them even, even more, more than I already yeah. did yep and then we had a great interview with Peg Gagne, our new CNO, uh, who we got to talk to about all of the reasons why she wanted this job, you know, a cyber attack, a COVID <laughs> pandemic. But uh, she got to tell us a little bit about herself and the goals for the new year. Yeah. All right. Take care, everybody. Thanks. Good to see your face. Yeah, it's great to uh, see you guys. And you've been on the podcast before with Rob yes. and Colleen. Introduce yourself, your title, and we'll do a little bit of your background too, because I think it's super awesome and fascinating for everybody to hear. <laughs> yeah, so my background is I'm a second career nurse. Spent about 15 years in IT before I went into nursing. I worked in the ER, only ever in the ER. I should never be allowed to work outside of the ER. That's pretty <laughs> much my attention span and focus ability, which is to say a whole lot of stuff, not at any great depth. And then I said I'd never do IT again, but I couldn't get off night shift. I was in a level one trauma center on nights, weekends, 47 old nurses would have to retire or die ahead of me for <laughs> ever get on day shift. And so there was an Epic installation coming and I thought, well, I can do that. So I went back to work on day shift. I did try to burn the house down. I tried to let my car roll down the hill. I'm just not a night shift nurse, and that was all I could do. I got into Epic. I simultaneously started doing a PhD because in three minutes at the bedside, I was old, and I realized old nurse in the ER was not going to work for me either. So I went back to school. (laughs) I got back into IT. I ended up uh, taking a role as the chief nursing information officer at that first hospital, which was a large southern academic medical center. And then I went to work at HCA, which is a huge for-profit group. I installed a hospital with Epic in Anchorage, Alaska. So I was in Alaska for a year. That was awesome. That's amazing. I love that. Oh, it was super cool. You talk about stubborn people. I tell my Vermont (laughs) is only marginally less stubborn than Alaska (laughs) on the whole in terms of just anything. I'm convinced it has something to do with the snow. And then I went to D.C. and I worked in D.C. as the chief nursing officer of the ONC for two years, which is the health IT division of HHS. And then I came to Vermont for one year as a contractor 
and I've now been here three and a half years. <laughs> and I came on board full time and came off my consulting gig uh, last summer for a while. The super awesome title of Health Network VP for Health Informatics, which mostly means I get health and allied health and nursing and yeah. the nursing part always left out all of our companions. So that's a little more inclusive. And Jeez, yeah. You must have worked in your first career from ages six to 12. Oh, and the most important thing, which Steph knows, I am actually 48. And at 44, I decided to have my first child. So I have a four-year-old outside. It <laughs> was you. by far the most exhausting, ridiculous <laughs> life adventure. Yeah. I've ever done. So I'll be 50. He'll be six. And uh, well, I, my mother was 45 when she had me. Oh, God. Bless yeah. her. Yeah. And she said to be 95. I yeah. Think. And my mother lived to be 95 years old. So, I, I'm hoping for that. Yeah. You know why? Because I want retirement. But he is amazing. But yeah. I'm, it's, yeah it, it's, it's a lot. And I can also. career and the right. mom. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and I can relate to the night shift thing because as Steph will attest, I worked two night shifts. <laughs> freaked out and luckily somebody quit yeah luckily somebody quit and and then i got bumped to day i would have loved that i would have loved that oh you froze why'd you freeze and there, there you are, are. Yes. oh and it's still recording oh good <laughs> oh it's been recording the whole time i'm not kidding i was like don't touch nose don't yell don't do anything just just have to point out the irony of sitting here talking to you and then our computer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Both Leslie and I went like cyber attack. No. Although it's a legitimate thing to think. Somebody in IT was like, we need to stop saying that. I'm like, why? It's what everyone's going to think for the next 12 months every time yeah. something's glitchy, oh, myself yeah, included. So. <laughs> Yeah. And we can all laugh about it now. We can, yeah. So that's a good thing. That's yeah. a good It's in the process. <laughs> well, you know, the, the good thing is if it, it literally went down again for 30 days offline today, it would be such, we would be like, oh, here we go again, except yeah. hopefully with more printed schedules and the ability to pull more things. And we would all remember how to document and process workflows. It would be paper. a much different experience. So yes. much different. Yeah. 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 But five years from now. When we've waited five years and it happens again, we'll be back to holy crap. What are we supposed to do? Because, yeah. you know. So I guess we're really here for, to hear you talk about what's going on with my chart. Let me tell you, because policy is so much fun. So <laughs> there's a, there's a, these are called the cures rules, which is a little bit of a misnomer. ONC, which is the. Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT. It's the division of HHS in DC that governs health information technology. So ONC and CMS, Medicare and Medicaid, who you know pay us, those guys work together in tandem. So they release two rules at exactly the same time. And ONC largely focused on data blocking. And so that has always been in the past, like if you're a vendor, you can't hold on to your information. You have to allow hospitals to share it. This new rule took a very different approach, and it said, you know what? The patient owns their health information. It is their record, and you are to no longer part and parcel it out. If they got a lab result and it's a bad lab result, you don't get to sit on it for three days while you take the patriarchal approach of the poor patient can't see their lab result without the doctor there. So ONZ was like, you will release it. You will release all of it, all of your notes, all of your lab results, radiology results, pathology results. 
when they're final, they go. So we had a delay of like three days and sometimes a week. And it even applies to like mental health records. So psychotherapy notes are protected, but most mental health records are not protected from the patient. It's the patient's right to see that information. And that is an area where we have always let the providers be a go-between and they sit on information. And, and so the ONC rule basically said, no more, it's the patient's chart. You get it to them as quickly as you can. So what will happen on April 5th is we will comply with that rule. And as a result, in the MyChart patient portal, patients will see a variety of new note types, progress notes for inpatient and outpatient, and a variety of other things from a whole bunch of different authors. So it used to be kind of primarily just the providers who had a few notes. They'll see a lot of notes. They will see lab results and pathology and radiology results all as soon as those final results are ready. There's no more lag time. So um, what it means for the bedside nurses is really two important things. One, nursing notes will not be released as part of this first wave. So all of our nursing notes won't go. Personally, I think that's a good thing because nurses don't generally document according to a framework or even a very logical pathway, where the note lives, what it says, how long or short it is. And then there are the 5,000 versions of patient resting comfortably, patient right. to CTV a stretcher. Like there are things that are- Vital signs within normal limits. Yes, yeah. <laughs> those, those things provide no substantive content to the patient. So they don't need to see 300 versions of that in their, in their record. But what we do want the nurses to know is how to talk to the patients about the fact that when they go into their MyChart portal after that date, they will see more information and they will hear from their providers when they order tests that, you know, if you don't want to know the result, don't look just let me look and I will reach out to you and we'll look at them together. Some patients are gonna to wanna to see everything right off the bat. And the providers can withhold information at a patient level. So if a patient is in a precarious position and the provider wants to withhold a note just for that encounter or for that patient, they have the right to do that. Um, but the rule is very clear, emotional harm, distress, is not a legitimate reason to block information. If you think the patient will physically harm him or herself, that's really the only legitimate blockade for why you can withhold information. So it's a very narrow rule. So that's the big picture. I don't know how much anyone cares about policy or why the policy comes out. The, the long and short of it is the government changed some stuff. They said mm -hmm. the patient owns that information. We owe it to them to give it to them ASAP. And so in April, a whole lot of stuff will make its way there. And you just need to be sure to be able to speak to the patient about why more stuff is there. And is it all back? Like, is it back from like 2000, you know, yeah. since electronic record was? Yeah, available? so we're only going to do it moving forward. So as oh. of April 5th, yeah, 4 or 5. As of April 5th, it will be everything moving forward. There will be a pathway for the patient to request the information historically. And I'm not sure how we're going to do it. It may end up being a PDF. For now, it's going to be like for short term, you're going to go to HIM and request your record yeah. the way you always would. And, you know, that's the point for people. They're like, oh, my God, we sit in all these meetings and they're like, you can't release that. And I'm like, honey, if they went to HIM right now and asked for their record, they would get it all. Like, it's ugly and it's an un kind of unwieldy mess, but that patient is entitled to every part of that record. We've put these artificial 
protections around the data, but it's not our data to protect, it's the patient's data. And yeah. so the government just said, we've had enough, you will release it. And this is the first step, but in subsequent steps, we have subsequent deadlines to the point where we release EDI, which is literally the entire record. And there is a flight path for that. So nurses won't be out of the, you know, they won't be off the hot plate forever. I'm using a loophole actually to keep the nurses notes out. And then my hope is to work with the director team to try to say, hey, in this area, let's look at what nurses write and why do we write it? So the CYA crap of normal, but you know what? You can see that the vital signs are normal because they're documented in the flow yeah. sheet over there. Like, I don't need to comment on that. I don't need to comment on every 30 minutes when I walk by. Like there are ways to document appropriately. And in a way that if you think about it, provide like a nursing note should provide incredible value to right. the record, potentially the most valuable input to the record. I'd like for us to write it in a way that the patient might actually understand it when they read it. Like the nurse's note could be the most valuable thing you offer the patient for an yeah. inpatient stay mm -hmm. or, or an infusion stay. But I don't know that we have helped our nurses with education or a note standardizing those notes in a way standardizing the notes. exactly yeah. you know the milligrams yeah. of the drug the start and stop time any kind yeah. of react like i i agree yeah. yeah next thing i actually i'm going to do is a little selfish i'm going to ask you about okay. and if this does if this is kind of like off topic but i think it might be useful for other nurses who are looking at projects if we're at bedside nurses, we're looking to do a project, how do we get infor useful information, that data from Epic? Yeah. Is that always through our manager? Is there a way for nursing at the bedside to do that? Sure, so there are a couple of things that you can do. There is a, a piece of Epic called Reporting Workbench, which we didn't really do a whole lot of training on. And so if that's something you guys wanted to see, I'm happy to do a demo for you and show you what it looks like. It is a whole bunch of canned reports and you can go in and you can play around. You can find your department. You can look for things. So my first thing would be like put in transfusion reaction and see if you come up with anything. Because if there's a basic report already, that just needs tweaking and you can sometimes tweak it yourself. And then the second option is you get the reporting team to make a report for you. And that's a ServiceNow request. It's easy. Okay. It's a data request. Um, it'll roll through your director for approval. So I would say, make sure you've talked to your manager and make sure whomever the director is for your area knows that it's coming. And then okay. it's just a report request and they'll reach out to you and, and see if they can get that information and, out. Okay. Yeah. It's really easy. Once you get the hang of doing it, you can find all kinds of things and tweak it. But there in that reporting workbench, tons of Epic customers have put requests in for standard reports and they're all there. It doesn't mean they've been validated. So even if you found one and you're like, oh, we'd probably still want to let the reporting team take a look at it to make sure it's valid. But most of the time it is unless you've got a highly customized record. But okay. Because well, I think, you know, as as we're moving forward and nursing is, you know, doing projects and different yeah. things, it's, it's a really useful tool to have for people to know about. And yeah. we don't always know. Like I know the other day I was like, I'm pretty sure Epic can run this, but I don't exactly yeah. know how to get from point yeah. A to point B. So, but let's just reiterate quickly. So the start date for the MyChart changes is when? April 5th. So changes will take effect on April 5th. I have a one pager 
that I'm going to send to you guys. I don't know if you can send it along with the email for the podcast, but it basically gives all the information you need and just perfect, you know, bullet point. That's wonderful. We like visuals with our audio. Yeah. Yes. Can do that. Awesome. Yeah. All right, guys. If All, right, take care. All right, take care. Thank you very much All for right. your time. No okay. problem. Have a great day. Yeah, yeah. you too. Bye. Okay, bye. I like used to work with these two like for a long time, and I have funny <laughs> stories about them. <laughs> We don't need to share all of them today. <laughs> all right. I'd like if everybody could just introduce themselves one at a time. Christine, if you want to go first, and then I think we should tell us something that you enjoy doing. Yeah. Let us know what, yeah, what, what do you, what do you like doing? Awesome. Um, I'm Christina Price. I am a critical care resource nurse, and I have been in the department about seven years. I enjoy playing outside. I love to hike and bike and ski. Anything outside, I'm game. Yep, awesome. that's awesome. Me too. All right, go ahead, Tori. Hey, guys, I'm Tori Forsyth. I have been in resource, I think, for about four years now. I am a med surge, plus I also do class one telly. About, a little about me, I, as everyone may or may not know, I have horses. I have two horses currently <laughs> and love being outside, especially even in the winter, spending some cold hours out with them and hanging out. Awesome. Okay. Thanks, Tori. I am Crystal Krull. I have been a resource nurse. I was just calculating in my head almost 15 years now. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's crazy how time flies. I've recently transitioned from being the nurse educator. I was doing that for about two years to coming back to the bedside. And I have two dogs. I really enjoy taking them for walks and kind of along the same theme, like to be outside as much as possible. Can't wait for summer. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know, really, right? As, as we see these gray, snowy days, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so we have you guys here because we wanted to really highlight the resource pool, you guys, what the, um, you guys do as nurses. I think probably everybody in the hospital recognizes you all because you go everywhere. Right, exactly. <laughs> Which um, is amazing. But I do think there's like, it's worth sort of talking about what expectations there are for resource nurses on the floor, what your guys hope for getting out there with regard to resource nurses and what we can learn about making everybody sort of, because I think you guys have great experiences on the floor, but how can we utilize you to an even better degree? So we are the resource department. We are uh, managed by Rachel Bouvier. Our assistant manager is Cynthia Peterson. She's new to us from the SICU. We're so excited to have her. And we also have a new educator who is Amanda Musser, and we're so excited about that. Our office, we live in Baird One, no one knows that, right across from the morgue, really special place. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you're never going to find us there. You'll find us on one of, I believe, we 22 units that we support. So we support 22 units. We are a staff of 59 nurses. Holy cow, really? Wow. Five LNAs, and those numbers are in flux. Sounds like we might have never enough. So 22 units, and that includes our four specialties. So we have nurses that are technically categorized in four different departments. One would be med surge, which also supports psychiatry and Fannie Allen rehab, which is now Shep 3 North rehab. We also have a med surge telemetry role, which supports 
med surge telly one and then we have critical care and emergency which would be that's where i fall all the all of the things such as ICUs and uh, rapid response. And then we have maternal child and they're awesome. And they go to the birthing pavilion, mother, baby, some do. Uh, and a lot of, I didn't mention, but some of the med surge nurses also do pee. So we're everywhere. We also can be found taking care of displaced patients in the ED. We take care of ED borders pretty frequently. We've been known to open pop-up units in PACU, PPR, step two at one point. I, know, I, call them, I call them the MASH units. I'm like, yeah. have a MASH unit. <laughs> That's us. We do that. We also help support open units that don't have staff yet. So McClure 6 that opened as our COVID tele-unit with three full-time employees. But don't worry. They took a census of 28 because we have resource. So resource came in and helped out. And resources has been doing a ton for them, doing charge on that floor. Yeah. It's like you almost have a unit. Yeah, you're like there. started a unit. So we go from one to four units, usually one to three different places in a shift. And the staffing office is in charge of our deployment. So they talk to you guys who do charge in bed huddle and on your forms. And they say, okay, this is where you're going. And we might change a couple different times during the day to best help the needs of the hospital. We just have been doing some unit practice work and some staffing collaborative work. Our 100% of our role is to fill absences. We're actually supposed to be filling disability, call outs, sick time, and not shortages on the floors that are known. But we obviously do that as well. But it's just a really interesting thing that our whole department the point of us is to is to fill call out. Explain again to me, you guys oftentimes, and I know when I've worked with, with you guys, we might have a 12-hour shift that needs to be filled, and we potentially could get three different nurses or four different nurses for that shift. Do you guys like that moving around, or would you? is it preferable to stay someplace, or do you care? I mean, I think every nurse you ask, and these, these ladies will probably have a different answer than me, it depends on the day and the assignment. Yeah. <laughs> You know, like myself, I came on originally a while back as a travel nurse, 
and was floating unit to unit anyway. So I had that opportunity to really see what it was like. And so I figured I might as well join the resource pool on floating anyway. It's really great to have the variety. You never get burnt out from being in one spot. You're constantly learning. And not only that, but there's room for opportunity as you've been in the department for a while. Like myself, for example, I oriented to PEDS once I had a couple of years of resource experience under my belt. And I would have never done that without the encouragement of my manager at the time. And it turns out I really love it. And I also, you know, there's a lot of value in having that broad perspective of all the units. I have cardiology background too. So it's super helpful when I'm floating to any unit that maybe has a patient that has a questionable rhythm or, you know, some cardiac specific stuff going on. So yeah, yeah, we totally depend on that expertise on the floors. I've always said like as an oncology nurse, I really love the heart, just not the physical heart. I like the emotional heart. <laughs> is like the physical heart. No, I don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> keep it, just keep it beating. <laughs> Please. Hey, Tor, do you still have your, do you still do oncology stuff? Do you yeah, still have I your still have my chemo certification. I think nice. that's like the cool thing about being a float nurse is I, I mean, I worked on Shop four before it was in the infusion center with you two in years. And I, you know, with all that experience, I've been able to maintain a chemo um, certification. And That's when I go in and supporting Miller five these days, I can still, you know, sign off chemotherapy, give it occasional chemotherapy. It's not as frequently as when I worked um, on the oncology unit, but I can still do it and still be helpful. Yeah, yeah no, that's great. That is yeah. awesome. And that's something we as resource nurses love to do. Um, we end up, you know, being helpers a lot for different floors. Hey, you know, Crystal, you're really good at rhythms. Can you look at this rhythm? Or like, hey, Tori. I mean, I ask Tori questions when I have like a urology patient on a cardiology floor. I'm like, Tori, how do I do this? So <laughs> I, I think we all, you know, we all can offer a skill that might help our coworkers. Yeah, absolutely. And has there ever been any talk about expanding, and this might be a bigger systems-wide question, but just worth the conversation, about expanding it to outpatient, expanding your resource to outpatient? That question has come up in times past, and it can be challenging to maintain Competency is typically the answer that we get when we ask or kind of explore those opportunities because it is so much different than the inpatient side. And when we're already being expected to kind of maintain competency of so many units, additional layer might be challenging. So, yeah, we have discussed it, but it hasn't been something that we've pursued. And there is an outpatient float pool. They do have a few nurses who can go from like, neurology clinic to cardiology clinic. It's very small and not associated with us. They're managed by the ambulatory care centers, but they do have one. And that was it. But like Crystal said, it's been a huge topic of conversation because they, all of the outpatient places would love more help. Yeah, to have yeah, some yeah. Sort of, they right, would love right. more help. I think they would really like to explore, but they have not been able to. Right. So I want to hear too about your, the experience on McClure 6, because you guys really stepped up in to help that floor and get it off the ground and, and, and continuing time, to support it. And in a time during COVID too, when like everything was so like unknown, I think it's just like an incredible testament to you guys. Um, so if, if you want to describe that experience and what you guys did. 
It should be Tori because Tori is the team <laughs> charge nurse of McClure. She's such a good charge nurse. It's when I first fell in love with Tori was when she was charge on Chef Moore. Yep. Oh, yep. Well, he's rocking on McClure. Homies <laughs> from back in the day. Yeah. So I don't know what you guys know about McClure. So McClure actually, this was originally started probably over a year ago on Chef 3 North. Originally, that was the plan was to have another med surge unit, that unit, but then times have changed and we needed more space and COVID hit. They really stepped up and they opened up McClure 6, which is a much, much, much bigger unit. So originally when McClure 6 opened, as Christina said already, they only had three staff nurses and a handful of like nursing assistants that had been like training kind of throughout the hospital. I think those nurses that were trained were oriented on like, Baird 3 and Baird 4 and like places like that. So they really at that point stepped up and asked us as the resource nurses to come up there and kind of staff that unit. And, you know, over time, we've slowly been able to increase the number of nurse of nurses and of patients that we can like are capable of having up there. Um, so like things like that we might not necessarily have done before, like in our nursing career, like we are charge nurses now, we are training all of the new travelers, all of the new grad nurses. Predominantly the unit right now is staffed by travelers and then new grads. I think I want to say there's 15 to 20 new grad nurses at the moment. Um, so we're also their biggest resource because they do not know hospital policy. They don't know some of like the more finer tuned aspects of being a nurse um, and are just still learning and like learning to work as a team. They're doing a great job up there and they're really, really trying hard, but it's still like a every day, every week learning experience. I personally still go there probably once or twice a week. I am a charge nurse up there. They only have right now one trained charge nurse, so they're working on it. And then they added COVID on top of all of this, which as we all know, every single week the policies change where we have to keep up with those policies, we have to keep up with the changes and everything else that's been going on. It's a big, huge job. It is a big job. <laughs> it's a big job up there. And you know, their management team is working really hard to like make it a good, fun and try and do the best job they can up there to like kind of keep all the pieces moving and keep everything going. Yeah. It's also great that we had you as that resource to be that like education piece, be that person that, that have like experience. It's great that we just have that ability to be able to do that. We have the depth, we have the depth to be able to do that in our nursing staff, right? right? So maybe, maybe you're resource nurses, but you're still hospital staff nurses that wo womaning that floor. <laughs> right. And every day that like one of my resource nurses is up there with me to like help because it's like a great, they're great source of like information all of them are anyone that we work with in the resource department has like got something to add absolutely i know that's that's what i love about something like a resource staff because really you guys come from christina you were saying this from like every sort of facet of nursing and that's the group that i would go to if something was wrong with me i'd be like can you guys assess me because there's somebody literally like I'd be like, I'm going to resource to figure out what's wrong with me because somebody there is going to know. Wow. <laughs> People are going to start knocking on the door across from the morgue. All right, anybody? <laughs> I will say it is a treat, and I believe we all feel this way when we get to work with one another because yeah. we're so used to being spread out that when you see two or three or four resource nurses on a floor, specifically if we're in somewhere like the ED taking care of borders, 
it's generally a good time. We are very, very happy to see one another. Yeah, we love to work with each other. Like, I'll like text Christina on the way into work to be like, hey, you go to the ED today? And she's like, yeah, great. It's going to be so much more fun with you there. <laughs> now, do you guys ever take new grads in the resource department? Is that ever something that it would happen? We did have a new grad start this year. We have our first one. It was a unique situation because she had been an LNA in the organization for quite a while. So it okay. seems like a good opportunity for her. And she really wanted to, you know, obviously work in the resource department as an RN. So, and I think uh, last I knew it was going really well for her. I don't know oh, if it's something that we're going to do again in the future uh, as far as like, you know, somebody who's maybe a brand new new grad without right. that kind of insight and perspective that it was, it's Danielle Fortin. I'm sure many of you know her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So she brought a lot, you know, so a great, unique um, experience and perspective to the role. Yeah. And she's only supporting, like, just she's slowly working her way through like the departments right now. Like, I think she only goes to like a set few units. Yeah. And slowly add as like she gets more experience. That's amazing. That's great. We're excited. And one thing we didn't mention, which I don't know is important, but we have some nurses who go to an incredible amount of units. I think Tori and Crystal, you guys probably go to the most. Yeah, I think yeah. it's about 12 or 14 or something. Wow. I think, yeah, 14 or 15, I think is what I go. Yeah. That's incredible. That's amazing. I remember when you, I actually remember, Tor, when you decided to leave Chef 4 and go to Resource and, and just sort of, you were knowing that you were going to just expand your nursing practice and you... Like within a month, you were like, oh my God, I've learned so much more than I would have. I expanded <laughs> so much. Like it, it you really, you were really clear that that's what you wanted. And it was really quick that you started getting the experience. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Is there anything from the rest of the hospital that you would like us to, to know about that is like for everybody? To... What's the message you guys want to get out? One of the big messages that we wanted to convey is that the resource department is different than the central pool travelers. The travelers that come in are, you know, temporary employees. They only get 24 hours of orientation time and they're utilized similarly to us in the fact that they float, but they're very different because they don't have that in-depth knowledge base that we have in the perspective from having done the job for so many years and really that scope of practice with, you know, as far as the policy and procedure of our organization. So sometimes we get confused with them or we kind of get grouped all together and we want charge nurses and just staff in general to remember that there is a difference. Awesome. Well, it's been awesome to talk to you guys. Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much for having us on your podcast. We really yes, thank you. Oh no, it's been yeah, awesome. Cool. It's so great. Well, um, we'll let you know this one. Um, we're hoping to get out by the end of February. Yeah, so we'll uh, keep you posted on that. You'll get like the email and stuff. So take a listen and uh, yeah, and spread the word. Yeah. Thanks, so, guys, so much. Thank you. All right, bye, guys. Bye. bye. I'm well. How are you? Good. We're yeah. good. We're good. <laughs> I mean, any anything's a distraction to not being able to do anything yeah. but work and sleep, you know, and eat. You know? <laughs> like, 
<laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, we wanted to bring you on because you yeah. have just gotten a new role. Yeah. A, a minor one. and we wanted to uh, talk to you and and really kind of discuss your trajectory of how you got here and what made you want this role and um, kind of what to look for for the new year and what to look forward to yeah exactly I I don't I see why you would want this job it's been so easy this past year (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's been no problems at all no (laughs) we have had a challenging year but I'll tell you It was the moments that as we work through, oh my goodness, starting way back when I stepped into the interim at the beginning of October and it was the second week in October when we started to have some air quality issues at the Fiani and then um, all of the various different throw COVID-19 in there along with a little bit of a cyber attack (laughs) challenges with the epic upgrade and it was quite a year but part of Part of what happens in a crisis, and we had many of them, is you see true colors of people. And just to watch everyone step up and lean in and do more. And, you know, even I think back to this fall when everyone was so exhausted already and the cyber attack came. And again, people, nurses stepped up and made it happen. And so as I had an opportunity to work with all of the various teams so closely over this past year. You know, the the group here on Patrick Three mm-hmm. and our nursing colleagues all across the organization. And I liked what I saw. Number right. one. You know, so many strengths. Feeling like we shared really a vision for what we wanted to see this place become. A lot right, of yep. things were set on the sidelines over the past year. But as we started to interview candidates for the CNO role, and I started to think about kind of the unfinished business, had done some great work around healthy work environment. We've got our collaborative leadership teams in place on the unit level. We're building in more of a unit voice with the unit staffing collaboratives and the... Yeah, that's exciting. Yes. There were all these things that I wanted to see through, not to mention keeping us on track for magnet designation. And so as we started to bring people in, I was looking at them going, wait a minute, I think I want that job. (laughs) You're like, that's my job. Right. I was wondering, I was wondering, Peg, if if you were going to feel like, wait, that's my job they're interviewing for, you know, and feeling a little bit of like maybe remorse if you didn't do at least give it a twirl. Yes. And so there was definitely that was a piece of it. But it's a it's a huge commitment, too. You know, so I really thought seriously about it. And, you know, I never envisioned that my career would take this path. I was very happy at the director level and I felt like I could make great changes there and stay close to the work. But as I worked through all of the past year, um, I started to see more of the strategic opportunities in this role to really Mm -hmm. put some pieces in place that are going to make a difference. That's awesome. So tell us kind of how this, how you began in nursing, because I think it's always fascinating to hear, you know, how do you get from, and I'm not sure, like the bedside to here, or maybe you weren't at the bed, you know, how does it come to this point? Where'd you start out, Peg? Well, I started out as a candy striper. Um, <laughs> I love that. Oh my God, I love that phrase. Please tell me, was my, there my, an outfit 
I still have my uniform, little blue pinafore, you know, we were blue and white striped. My sister and I, because I come from a big family, we all had summer jobs, right? You will work in the summer. So we were both on a cardiology unit as candy stripers, and she absolutely hated it. She's sort of in the artsy side of things and working up close and personal with people as they struggle with all kinds of things. And as a candy striper, you're on the physical care side of things. Yeah. She did not like it, and I loved it. <laughs> and then when I went off to school, my Wait a parents... Second. Is a candy striper the equivalent of an LNA today? Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. So it was the Red Cross put you through a little program, and you yeah. got your uniform, and then went to work for the summer. And they paid you, which was great. Yeah, got some good experience. But my parents were sort of more on the science side of things. So when I started school, I started in um, biochemistry at, at McGill, and I did that for two years. And I had a summer job in a basement lab in Rochester at Kodak, and it didn't fill my bucket. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I went back and switched into nursing, and they had a great program at McGill, just, you know, really focusing on generalist preparation and uh, lots of good experiences there. So, so happy I made that switch. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I worked nights in New York State on a med surge floor under the careful guidance of two really experienced nurses uh, who had very clear ideas about uh, what new grads brought to the table. They were overall supportive. And then came to Vermont after about eight months. I couldn't work in Vermont initially because I had gone to school in a foreign country. And so I had to pass my boards and couldn't work as a graduate nurse here. But I started in the SICU here. Uh, Back then it was SCU, the abbreviations. But anyway, uh, I walked in the recruiting door and they said, yes, we have jobs. And they're in the surgical intensive care unit. So I said, well, let's try it. Yeah, right. (laughs) And it was a great place. You get a lot of experience really quick, probably. (laughs) Great place to learn. There's such close mentorship in that kind of a setting because you have one or two patients and then, you know, the guidance from someone experienced. I had great mentors there. Uh, Betsy Burns, I don't know if either of you, uh, she was up on Beard Six as a nurse practitioner, but she was one of my preceptors when I. Uh, was in the ICU and others. So I did a little bit of ICU nursing. I had an opportunity to go back and get my master's when my uh, husband got sent to um, Tucson, Arizona for a couple of years. And they had a master's program there. And so I said, well, take some time off from clinical nursing and get that in place. And then when I came back, I worked per diem in, in the ICU and then went over and taught at UVM for a period of time. So I kept my per diem gig going. Yep. And yep. as I would teach on a unit, I, I worked on Baird for uh, general medicine. And then I actually did some other baby as well because I had oh, students fun. in that environment. So I got yep. a nice background. It started to get harder to go back to the ICU when I was just there sporadically. So I did right, my right, right. Worked at UVM primarily through the closing of the associate degree program. And I yep. was primarily teaching in that program, which suited me. It was all adult learners, you know, thinking about a second career, coming back to nursing. and. Uh, 
that was a great student population to work with. And then when they closed that program, I went up to Franklin County Home Health for a little while as a manager. And then, and it seemed like there was always, there was a river that was blocking my way home, either coming down through <laughs> Jeffersonville or, or Melvin's on a regular basis. The commute got a little bit difficult. So then I uh, went back and taught in the bachelor's program for a little bit in the sim lab. Yep. But was then the sim lab. It isn't the sim lab that we know now, but our uh, the clinical lab there and taught pharmacology, uh, came over. I always knew I wanted to return to sort of the operation side of things where I, I really enjoyed teaching and loved that, but I wanted to be kind of at the front lines of care. And so came back over as an educator and then worked my way through, was the director for education for a little bit, and then switched over to the operation side around 2008, I think it was. Okay. I've been doing that ever since. And I think, you know, the broad background in different kinds of nursing was really a good preparation for this yeah. sort of role because my practice credentials are pretty old. I have a sense of how different nursing is in a variety of different settings. And so um, I think that's a good perspective to bring to this role. Well, and you can see different different visions for different areas and kind of expand pretty well, too, if you have kind of a little bit of a little bit of everything there. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And then you can rely on your nurses to be the ones that are up to date clinically and keep you posted. Exactly. Right? Like, yeah. 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 You know, as we've, you know, built the clinical ladder here and we now got a nice cadre of RN4s and 3s and 4s actually that can hold that practice expertise. But also the you know the unit staffing collaboratives have been a great project over the past few months to kind of get that in detail view of what are people doing in each of these areas. And, you know, particularly on the ambulatory side, sitting down and yeah. looking at their staffing plans and their activities, right. you know, what nurses are involved in there. That's been a good, a good refresher and good learning for me. It seems to me in some ways that each unit, although we're obviously a we're at one hospital, but each unit runs um, almost independently as a separate business with separate, you know, patients coming in and how we function is, is across the board. There's some similarities, but really with our different patient populations and needs, we all have to function slightly differently in that business model. And it's, that's been fascinating for me going from inpatient to outpatient, just seeing the difference in, um, in how nursing functions and how we, but yet stay as one hospital. Right. Yeah, and that that inpatient outpatient connection is going to become more and more important. You know, I think our patients spend most of their time and have most of their interactions with the outpatient. Right. Well, yeah. Right? And our goal, yeah, and our goal as nurses is to keep them out of the hospital, right? Yeah. So yep. it's another point on their care continuum where we can assess and say, we might want to tweak a few things so you don't end up in the hospital in a week. That perspective has changed for me from inpatient to outpatient. Right. right. And we yeah. need to figure out how to tailor what we're doing on the inpatient side to support that and keep yeah. keep patients and the caregivers on the outpatient side informed yeah. about what yeah. we're doing. That'll be something that going forward we, we focus on. So what in this past year, like the different challenges, um, was there one that was you were like, ooh, I'm not this has been way different than I expected it to be? Was it and also kind of what have you learned from those experiences to kind of bring forward moving on? Mm -hmm. 
the biggest challenge that I think about and where we, I think, as a team and myself did the most learning was around the cyber attack. Yeah, I'll agree with you. It was harder than ramping up for COVID, I think. Right. I, well, <laughs> I, you know, they both had their different challenges, but I think we worked a little bit in isolation in the cyber attack. So those early days, we were all figuring it out on our own. You know, we had different units sort of setting up different processes and we weren't working with our partners very well, like our providers and, you know, all of the various different support services. It just made me see the importance of uh, standardizing a process, right? A simple like where the new orders go on a unit. You know, you've got a resident who's going to three different units and they were they were suffering badly because we all had figured out something a little different. And I, and I do think, though, that what I what I took from the cyber attack is that you know everybody stepped up in their own way. The communication was a little bit challenging because we didn't have all of our resources available, but everybody was so willing to do whatever they could to make this work. And yeah. I think it was such a valuable you know, experience, experience like, to have. Almost it was almost a team building experience, to be honest. Yes. I felt closer, like we had better, we have better communication relationships with pharmacy. Yeah. Um, it, cre it just created a different pathway for dialogue that only enhanced mm -hmm. the dialogue once everything went back up. And moving forward, yeah. for right. sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I totally agree with you. I think the fact that we had face-to-face -face communication and that was about all we had, right? Exactly. So, yeah. You know, those residents and interns had to go to the unit to do their orders and right. talk with people. And, you know, I know that was challenging for them, but it really did help build some of those relationships. And that was what people didn't want to lose when, you know, we came back up and running. For but sure. I think in those early days, um, there was an opportunity for some more coordinated decision making. And, you know, we were obviously just trying to get things in place as quickly as possible. And we reworked it as we needed to. But I know, I think we had a discussion and I think we even mentioned on this podcast, I, it did feel like, you know, COVID had its fear, but we we just kind of moved, we were marching along. It's and what it nursing seemed, and it's what medicine does. Like right. we know that we are going to encounter a COVID-like experience again, right? Mm -hmm. Right, right. Like it was, it that was sort of our wheelhouse. COVID just gotta do our jobs and do what we know and kind of trust our PPE, and, and, right? And, yeah. and but then the cyber attack was more of a like, okay, we have no, <laughs> this is a different animal altogether. That's right. <laughs> so, well. You know, all the system checks and balances, we might have not liked all those pop-ups that happened in Epic, but they were there for a good reason. And yeah, totally, yeah. You know, safety and the double signatures and all of that, to just not have that safety net in place, I think was hard. Oh, was yeah. <laughs> and I, it made me appreciate that so much more. You know, like mm -hmm. I definitely, like I'm like, oh, this is why we do it that way, or this is why we yeah. have that process. And uh, yep, that makes not more sense now. And so it definitely, you know, you definitely have an appreciation for all those checks and balances. And mm -hmm. some of it, some of the paper charting you were able to do quicker, but then some things it was so much more you know, slow so and much more slowly, yeah. And, and inefficient. And you're like, oh. <laughs> so what what do you think, Peg, going forward for the year that you're, what are you sort of most excited about either planning out or seeing come to fruition? What is, what's sort of the rest of the year outside of COVID? Because hopefully right. we're going to all be able to see that sort of lift its yeah. veil in some yeah. ways. 
Well, I'm excited about getting back to putting some of the things in place that we had started. Right. So I think, you know, we really wanted there to be stronger engagement, um, the voice at the local level for nursing. And so getting those unit-based practice councils up and running, getting the unit staffing collaborative project to the finish line for this initial work, and then, you know, have those things going on an ongoing basis are really important to me to get those across the finish line this year. And then I think the other thing that we have started in nursing is really taking a different uh, structure to do some workforce work. So we have had a little recruitment group going out there that, you know, there's a subgroup focusing on, on experienced LNAs, for example, new grad recruitment. We've had a little subgroup but we need to tie it together a little more comprehensively. We have set up a steering group that has um, myself, Aaron Early is the chair of the MPG Coordinating Council, um, our VP of HR, got a couple nurse leaders on it. Um, Deb Snell as the president of the FNHP is on it. Just to look at, okay, what's the snapshot of where we're at with workforce? And what are the key priorities here? And then there are three little subgroups, a recruitment group, a retention group, and then a group that looks at resource allocation and position management and staffing, you know, that kind of bucket of things. A lot of the healthy work environment work that we started Mm -hmm. will go to that retention group to say, okay, Here's some stuff we came up with. It was about a year and a half ago now. What are the key priorities out of this in terms of retention that we we absolutely need to work on? And then the recruitment group, again, is just going to look at the data that's out there in terms of what are our hardest to fill areas? What do we need to be doing differently? You know, we know we have an aging nursing workforce. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, Peg. me neither. Yeah. <laughs> so, and in certain, and it's more in certain areas, you know. So I think we did a snapshot of this a while back. You know, there's certain clinical areas, like for example, inpatient psych. You know, there's a higher proportion of nurses there who are getting close to retirement age. We saw that with the Fanny OR. You know, so in in pockets. We know we're going to have some recruitment challenges. So it'll be important that that group sort of narrows in on what are a few key changes we can work on this year around recruitment and retention. We are running with about, I think the last time I checked, 7% are worked hours right now are travelers. That is not terribly out of line with the industry. I think the industry is right around 6%. So we're in the ballpark. But I think we want to have committed staff, you know, and so anything that we can do to to influence that over this next year is going to be important. So I was telling this to somebody, I think the workforce is changing, right? You have like young nurses that yes. want to travel. And so how do we how do we kind of embrace the travel mode in a way that it's not that it's more cost effective? Right? Um, yeah. Or kind of kind of models. Do we know that we're going to need to incorporate that because, you know, we're a global society now and people mm-hmm. You know, one of the exciting things about nursing is that you can take it anywhere, at least in the country now and now. And, you know, and and so how do we embrace that and try to figure it out? Right. So it doesn't break the 
the budget. I mean, right, I mean exactly. it's a great solution other than what it's probably costing the hospital. And so, which makes total sense. Yeah. Um, and there's advantages for people being here a long time. And there's, there's definitely, it's a, it's a balance for sure. Right. Um, and, you know, being an expert in your area and, you know, that's, that's important too. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of things to consider. But I think that's sort of that deep dive and also coordinating the work that's going on around workforce because, you know, different units and areas have, you know, an innovative approach to onboarding that they're doing or a new internship mm-hmm. that they've put in place. And so we just want to have a big view of that, yeah. share some of that work, and then focus in where we've got gaps. Right. So, I, I like what Marissa was doing up on um, McClure 6 with sort of her mentorship program that she did. Yep. Unbelievable. Really interesting work, I thought, and well-received. Yes, exactly. And I think as part of that group, you know, the other lens that we're going to look through this in is the equity, diversity and inclusion lens. So just as we're as we're hiring, as we're supporting retention, you know, we want to look at how do we, you know, increase the diversity of our workforce and um, also provide them a work environment that supports, you know, BIPOC. Oh, super important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're hoping to talk to um, Dr. Coleman here on the podcast, too, about yeah. our work and how nurses and how we as nurses can help to support that right. um, and also have tools to support that. Right. And p- take a really active role in creating that, help creating that culture as a supportive work culture at this hospital. Yeah, uh, I think that's a great idea. And we've just gotten back our EDI workforce assessment results that we did back in August. So with everything else, now we're going to be out and about sharing those within the early part of March, I think. So that would be a great time to. Oh, good. good. Oh, oh, that's, that's good great. to know. Yeah. Line it right up. Great. Well, Peg, it's super great to talk to you, and I'm so happy to hear see you in this role. And uh, yeah, you know, we're really happy to see you in this role. It's pretty exciting. <laughs> Yes. And, you know, maybe hopefully all the excitement has, has already come and now it's just going to be getting these initiatives out there and really right. developing this. Yeah, and that was one heck of an interview process that last year, huh? <laughs> yeah, that was pretty interesting. It was sort of a start and stop job, but I'm ready. Yeah, absolutely. And it's such a fabulous opportunity. I mean, hmm. Great. Well, well, thanks for spending well, some time with us today. Yeah, I'm sure Thank we'll you. see you back on here. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime. Thank you both so much. Absolutely. Bye. And have a great rest of your day. Okay. Bye, Peg. You too. Bye.